All right. So, so we're continuing through this sermon series going through the book of James called Where Faith Meets Life. And so we're going through the book of James and looking at how our faith can be practically applied to everyday life. How it's not just something like we kind of hide in a little compartment on the side we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. But it's something that affects every part of our lives. Especially tonight is what we're going to look at is how it affects us every single day. How it's something that should our faith should lead us to living that out on a daily basis. So before, before uh, we go into that, I want to ask y'all a question. I want to get a little feedback from y'all. With this, anybody like huge sports fans? Anybody huge like football fans? Okay. Let me, what if I came up to you and said, I, I am an NFL player, would you believe me? No. What if I have a jersey with my last name on it, would you believe me? No. Not even then? What if I posted pictures on Instagram of me like at training camp or things like that? Would that believe me? Wow. I don't know, let me, let me think. What, what if I, uh, what if I, like, what if I was able to give you some of the plays from the playbook? I was able to like recite the place in the playbook to a T. No. What what if I could tell what if I could like give you all the background of like the head coach, different players, I could tell you their history, where they were born, everything like that. Would you believe me? Why why don't you believe me? You can Google Well everything externally says I'm an NFL player. And I proclaim to be an NFL player. I could post pic- what if I post pictures when I'm at the gym or hanging out with other people that are on the team? Would you believe me? No. Why? Okay. So so regardless of any of that, even though I post all these things and I pro- and I say I'm this, I claim this, you wouldn't believe me. No. Okay. So let me ask you this then. It, it's cause there's no it's like it's cause there's no evidence outside of that that I'm one? Yep. What would it take for me to prove to you that I was on an NFL roster? Okay, stats, stats, playing. So actually, so actually, like living it out, actually like doing it. So let me ask you this. Let me, let me, let me turn in this way. How many of us proclaim to be a Christian? We post pictures on social media. We have verses in our bios. We can recite verses like there's nothing. We have the jersey, or in this case, we wear the cross necklace. We wear the hats. We wear the shirts. We wear different things that say externally that we are a Christian. But there's no follow-up. That we don't look, we look exactly the same as anybody else. What's the difference? The difference is that the person, if they're truly, if they truly have been impacted by something and accepted into something, it's going to play out in everyday life by them living it out, right? Just like if someone is an NFL player, they're going to live it out every single day. They're going to show that. It's the same with, with our faith, that if we have truly been changed by that cross of Christ that we were just singing about, if we have truly said, God, give me faith, and he's given it to us, and he said, I'm calling you to something higher and something deeper, then it'll be evident in the way we live our lives. And so here's the thing. Here's, here's the main point of what I want you to grasp tonight with this. Is that the gospel of Christ demands we not only receive him, but also live for him. So on your notes, unfortunately, it should say main point, but poor main point number one. It should say main point. 
And the main point is this, is that the gospel of Christ demands we not only receive him, but also live for him. That our faith demands us to go beyond surface level. That it's supposed to go deeper. It's supposed to take root. It's supposed to be something that's implanted in our lives and grows more and more and more as we pursue him. The gospel of Christ demands we not only receive him, but also live for him. Because the thing, we as, as fallen sinful human beings, we're prone to want to live for ourselves. We're bent towards that. We're bent to wanting to live for ourselves and do what's best for us. And some of us, we, we might not explicitly say it, but some of us would say that, that we live to receive the blessings of Christ, but not actually live for Christ. That, that we want to have all the nice blessings that Jesus gives us, but kind of keep Jesus at a distance. And what we're going to be looking at tonight, what James says in this passage, is that if we're truly to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, if we are to truly live for Christ, and there's three commands that we are to obey. So if you have a physical Bible, we're in James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 27 tonight. If you don't, it's on the back side of your notes. That we can follow along. And I'm also going to have it up on the screen for us to go through also. All right, so James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. Let's pray real quick. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. Again, I pray just for this word, this implanted word that'll truly take root in our lives and it'll truly make a difference in our lives and it'll truly be something we don't just hear this tonight. We don't just listen to this. We don't just sing about this, but we will be about it on a daily basis. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help just empower all of us to do that tonight, to not just hear your word, but to do your word on a daily basis. pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, there's three commands that Paul gives us that we are to obey if we're to truly be doers of the word. And the first one is this, is we must receive the gospel. We must receive the gospel. Because like it says in verse 21, it says with meekness, receive the implanted word. So right there from, the very, from verse 19, from the very beginning, we're giving three commands. All right, three things we are to do in regard to the gospel. We are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The thing is, when we do the opposite of this, 
and we're prone to do the opposite of this, that's when we will produce the anger of ourselves, which does not produce the righteousness of God. When instead of being quick to hear, we are slow to hear. When instead of being slow to speak, we are quick to speak. And instead of being slow to anger, we are real quick to anger. Anybody ever gotten really mad at someone? Yeah. I got mad at my grandma. Like, like I'm sure you'll have real fun in the Oakland parking lot leaving each day, right? Right? I'm sure you have so many people you just want to show the love and grace of Christ to. How, how tempted are you? All right, gather back. I didn't know I was going to get you that riled up. Sorry. How many of you are tempted in that moment that you really want to say something? You know, just a, a little encouragement, if you will, quote unquote, when someone gets you mad. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What James is saying in this passage is, hey, look, we got to be we got to be slow to anger. We got to be slow to speak and we got to be quick to listen. Because here's the thing. Our human anger, our human anger, when we get angry and we just let our anger run loose. As soon as our anger runs loose, which means our words are going to run loose real quick after that. If we let it get out of hand. Next, you know, we are saying words that we really regret saying after. Like, I really shouldn't have said that, even though in the moment it felt really good. Because the thing is, the anger of man does not produce this righteousness of God that we are to obtain to. This righteousness that we're supposed to, we're called to live out every single day. And so instead what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to put off all this filthiness and rampant wickedness. Because the thing is, here's how we're supposed to respond to the gospel. We're supposed to be quick to listen to the gospel. Slow to speak in regards to the gospel and slow to anger on some of these things. Because instead we're supposed to put away, as it says in verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What, what filthiness means, it's like a moral uncleanliness. So just not having the right morals, not being morally correct on these things. Rampant wickedness, basically what that means is rampant is just abundance, a surplus, a lot of it. And wickedness is just like evil. So we're supposed to put away all our moral uncleanliness that we have and all of just this abundance of evil that we might have. Because like I said, like we talked about last week, our hearts, they're, they're sinful, they're wicked above all else. They have these desires that play out. And so when we are... When we are slow to listen and we are quick to speak and quick to anger, we are quick to give in to these desires. We saw what happened last week is that more and more sin is produced, more and more it grows and grows until eventually it leads to spiritual death. And so what we're supposed to do is we need to be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak. We need to be slow to anger when it comes to the gospel because the gospel is what saves us. The gospel was, guides us through these things. Is that when we put away all these filthiness and rampant sin, is what we're doing is we're turning from our old lifestyle of sin. We're turning away from our old way of living. We're putting away, putting off things before that were sinful, that we know are against God. We know that don't honor Christ. Things we talked about last week, like lust, like gossiping, like letting our anger run loose and getting really mad at the person that might have cut us off in the parking lot. Yes, even then. Even then, it's things like that that's so tempting for us, and we're supposed to turn from that. Instead, like it says, we are to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness, and instead, we're supposed to receive 
with meekness the implanted word. Basically what meekness is, it's like humility. It's humbling yourself. It's understanding, okay, I don't know everything. I know I can't fix myself. I know I can't do this on my own. And so what we see is, okay, if the gospel confronts us with our sinful hearts, it confronts us with our sinful nature. And a lot of times when we confront something with a sinful nature, it's tough. It's not like immediately in that moment, they're going to be quick to be like, yeah, I want to do that. Imagine like you're in a really dark room for a sec, for a while, and then someone just flips on the lights. How much does it hurt your eyes in that moment? Uh, not very much. You know? It's kind of the same thing as when that happens. When things like that happen, that's exactly how the gospel is. The gospel confronts our sinful nature. And we are wanting to be really quick to shut that off and not listen to it. Really quick to not want to listen to it. And be real quick to anger. Like, what do you mean there's something wrong with me? Because that's our natural bent towards that. But here's the thing. What, what James is saying in the beginning of this is that we have to truly be doers of the word. If we are truly to live out our faith, then we must first receive this faith. We must receive it through the gospel. That's why it says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So repent. We repent of our sins. And next, we receive with humility the implanted word. Basically, we repent of our sins and we believe in Christ. How there's that gospel presentation right there. We're to repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, like it says, which is able to save your souls. Because here's the thing is that people that are born again, when we receive the word of God, it's not just something where we do it one time and that's it. When we receive Christ as our savior, what we're doing is we're submitting to his lordship. Which means now we're saying, okay, not only do I get salvation, but I'm turning to Christ for him to guide my life. I'm pursuing him on a daily basis. I'm submitting to his word as the authority in my life. That's what it means by receive. It's not just receiving Christ, but it's submitting ourselves to him and knowing that he is going to guide our lives. He's the one that's going to direct our paths. Because here's the thing, salvation, salvation is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing lifestyle. Salvation is not just the moment that you repented of your sins and believed on Christ. But what it is, it's an ongoing lifestyle where we're repenting of our sins and believing in Him more. We're repenting of our sins and following Him more. We're repenting of our sins and becoming that much more like Christ. It's not just a one-time event where at a camp or for me like in the attic or whatever else where we truly received Christ, but it's an ongoing thing from there. A lot of times you hear a salvation story where it's this was I was before Christ, then I received Christ, but you really don't hear after. And the thing is, salvation is always ongoing from the moment we receive Christ to the moment we finally see him face to face and the culmination, the consummation of our salvation. Salvation is an ongoing lifestyle. It's not just a one-time event where let's say maybe at a camp you believed in Christ. That's great that you believed in Christ. I want to rejoice in that. But at the same time, it's going to lead to an ongoing lifestyle of living for him. Because like I said, when we received Christ, we submit ourselves to his lordship. We submit ourselves to the authority of his word, his scripture, and let that guide us, let that motivate us, and let that filter everything we do. So let me ask you this. Do you hold the word of God in high regard? Do you allow the scriptures to guide the way you think and speak and live? Do you allow the scriptures to filter everything that you watch and read and listen to? Do you let it guide the things you do? Because Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, that if we truly love him, then we will keep his commandments. 
And so this is the first part of our salvation is that we repent of our sins. We put away our filthiness. We put away our rampant wickedness and we receive the gospel. We humbly receive the implanted word. Like I said, that's only the beginning. It doesn't stop there because not only are we to receive the gospel, but we are to respond to the gospel. We must respond to the gospel. That's why it says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So immediately after James says, okay, once you have received the, is, this implanted word, that means we are now to live out this word. Now that we have received the gospel, we are to now live out this gospel. We're to respond to it. And what he does is he gives a picture of two people and how they respond to the gospel. So the two people are, they're a hearer, but not a doer. And the other one is they are a hearer and a doer. So let's, let's, forget, let's first look at the hearer, but not the doer. So like it says in verses 23 and 24, For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. So what this is, they look intently, like it says in the passage. They look intently at them. So what I'm saying is that's not like a quick glance. That's not like, okay, good. Like, they're studying themselves in the mirror. Like, they're seeing what needs to be changed. They're seeing what needs to be done. They inspect everything, see what needs to be changed, but still walk away unchanged. Basically, the impression they got from that was only momentary. A way I would describe it is imagine looking yourself in the mirror, right? Anybody ever looked themselves in the mirror and went, jeez. Anybody one morning looked themselves in the mirror like, what in the world? So, so imagine this. <laughs> Some people have too many days like that is what it sounds like. Okay. Here, back up here. Back up here. <laughs> Didn't mean to guess. Like a good way or a bad way? Like, we'll say bad way. So imagine this. Okay. Imagine this. Imagine you, you look at yourself in the mirror. You're, you're inspecting everything. Like, you see a unibrow. You see acne that needs to be taken care of. You see just, I don't know, nose hairs, whatever else. You're like, ooh, like that needs to be taken care of. Imagine you look at all of that. This mirror is showing everything that you need to change. That way you can look better. And you do nothing about it. How do you feel? Fantastic. Like, foolish, right? Foolish. It's, it's the same way with this. It's the same way with this. Is Look, we have the perfect, eternal word of God that is going to last throughout all the ages where God says, look, this is what we're supposed to measure our lives to. This is supposed to be the perfect mirror that we're supposed to look at. Like I said, with the gospel, it shows us what needs to be changed. It shows us what we need to change about ourselves. It shows we need to alter and repent and turn to Christ over and submit to him. But instead, we just look at it. We say, no, I'm good. Or maybe we have a moment going, yeah, I really should probably change that. But then walk away and never do anything about it. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been on a camp or a mission trip and you had a real good spiritual high? You were feeling really good about it? And you said, we're going to change the world when we get back. We're going to come back. I'm going to change this, that, and the other about myself. And he came home and then what happened? Life, Life happened, right? Things came back. But as soon as you got home, nothing changed. What happened? Do you just live from camp to camp to camp to camp waiting for that next spiritual high? Do you just wait for each D now to next D now to next D now from one extreme winter to the next? 
to get that spiritual high? Are you daily living that out? Because the way that this would say, if we look at ourselves in the mirror and see what needs to be changed and never do anything about it, it'd be exactly the same as if we go to Mfuge after Mfuge after D-Now after D-Now after Extreme Winner after Extreme Winner, so on and so forth, where we're confronted with what we need to change. We see what needs to change. And Christ is lovingly telling us, submit this to me and I can help you with this. But instead we go, no, I'm good. I'm okay. That's, that's what... That's what James is saying in this. That's the same person. They look at what, they look at his word. They look at the gospel. They see what needs to be changed. Maybe they feel overwhelmed the moment. They turn around and go, I'm good. That's the person that is a hearer, but not a doer. Then the next person, they are a hearer and a doer. So like it says in verse 25, is this. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So it's the opposite. They see, they see themselves in the mirror. They see what needs to be changed. They see what needs to be done, and they go do it. They see the word of God for what it is. Because look at what it says in verse 25. It says, looks into the perfect law and the law of liberty. So not only do they obey the law, but they persevere in it. What they're saying is, is this law, this word that we are to obey, it is perfect and it is the law of liberty. You know what that means? It means that the Bible does not bind or trap or weigh us down. Instead, it is characterized by freedom. This word of God is not meant to hold us down or be a list of do's and don'ts. It's meant to truly free us. And not only do they obey it, like it says, but they persevere in it, like it says. What perseveres, it's just a continuation of obedience. It's an ongoing obedience. It's an ongoing thing they do. It's not just something they do when they feel like it. It's not just what they do when it feels comfortable to them or when things are going well or when it's most convenient for them. It's an ongoing thing they persevere in. Because there's going to be days where it's difficult. There's going to be days we don't want to do it. There's going to be days where we don't want to pick up our cross and deny things that we truly want and follow after him. But we persevere in that. We continue going forward. We continue marching on by the power of the cross, helping us go forward. That it's not momentary. It's ongoing. And look at what it says. Not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And he will be blessed in his doing. At the end of verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. They're blessed in their doing and they persevere. So what that means is this is not just like the future, like we see Christ face to face, but it's right now. They experience personal fulfillment that only God can provide now. Because like I said, this book is meant to liberate us. It's meant to free us. It's not meant to shackle us or be a ball and chain or hold us down. It's meant to free us. Because here's the thing. Hearing the word but not doing the word is foolishness. But hearing the word and doing the word is freedom. Because think about this. Our sinful nature wants to say, no, God, I know what's best for me. But then we go in all these different directions and it leaves us feeling just more empty, more lonely, and just more needing personal fulfillment. Well, Jesus is saying, look, this gospel I'm giving to you, where I give you my life, I'm not just saying this to hold you down. I'm saying this to free you and liberate you. Think about this. Jesus took on flesh, took on our flesh, and lived a perfect sinless life. To free us. 
Personal fulfillment can only come through responding to and persevering in the gospel. So if we are to truly be doers of the word, we are not only to receive the word, we are not only to respond to the word, but we are to live out the gospel. Is we must live out the gospel. Because here's the thing, if we have truly received and responded to the gospel, then obedience will follow from that. Because here's the thing, inward transformation will lead to outward obedience. Inward transformation will lead to outward obedience. Because when we truly are impacted by something, when we truly experience something great, then we are changed by that. I'll give you another kind of silly illustration. Imagine, imagine I came up here late. Imagine I'm stumbling on stage right as we're about to, right as Caleb and Nat get off and I stumble up. Sorry I'm late, blah, blah, blah. I was, on, I was on East Jefferson Pike here and my car broke down and I parked on the side of the road and then I was trying to fix my tire. Lug nut went out to the middle of the road and I went to go get it and a 30-ton log truck was 10 feet away from me and hit me. But I'm here. Would you believe me? No. Why? You would say, how in the world? There would be an effect, right? You're, you're impacted by something gigantic. And you're telling me there's no change? You're telling me I come face to face with something humongous. And there's no change. So imagine, as we say about that, how much greater is it that we have a face to face, true, impactful encounter with God? How much greater is God in comparison to a 30 foot truck that we encounter a true impact of God, but there is no transformation? How is that possible? How can that happen? And so here's the thing that if, if, if our faith has truly made an impact, James gives us two more kind of things. He gives us two more types of religion, if you will, that he explains it here. And there's the worthless religion and there's the pure religion. He talks about that if if something has truly made an impact on our life, it's going to show. Or if it hasn't made an impact, it's going to show. So the first one is this, is the worthless religion. Like it says in 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So the first thing it says, they don't bridle their tongue. Basically what bridle means is just they don't control their tongue. Bridle is just another word for control. So like they don't control their tongue. Basically what they're saying is if they claim to be religious, but there is no evidence, there's no fruit of that, then their religion is worthless. Everything about them is external. There's nothing internal that's been transformed. Everything is surface level. They just kind of say it, but they're not about it. They talk about it, but they don't live it out. Let me ask you this. Does your faith just consist of everything on the outside looking good? Does your faith go beyond just a post on Instagram, a verse in your bio, a verse in your caption, wearing that cross necklace, etc., or just going on camps and retreats and things like that and posting pictures from it? Does it go beyond that? Because if we are truly to be a follower of Christ, our faith must go beyond surface level. It must be rooted in the depths of our heart. That's why it says receive the implanted word. What that implanted means, it's something that gets fixed really deep within us. That if something truly has taken root, then it's going to grow more and more and more. 
Well, if something that is not buried deep, it is not going to hold root. Next, see, that's, so that's the worthless religion where everything's just external. Everything just looks good on the outside. They're all talk, but no action. And then there's the pure religion that he talks about in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I want to say, this is not encompassing everything that would mean to be like a follower of Christ. It's not just saying, okay, the only thing you must do is visit orphans and widows and be unsustained from the world. However, what it's capturing is, is there's two areas of our life that will be affected. There's two areas that we will live out if the gospel truly has made root. The first one is this, is social concern. And the second one is this, is moral purity. So what I mean by social concern, is like that's what it says, visiting orphans and widows and things like that. Basically what it's saying is, is just, we're caring for the most helpless in society. That, that's what it's talking about, is, is we're helping just the most helpless in society. That's why it says visiting orphans and widows. It's not just seeing them, but spending time with them, meeting them where they're at, seeing them for who they are, truly caring for them. The second one is this, is, is just moral purity. Like it said, that it's unstained from the world. So basically keeping oneself unstained from the world by daily denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. James wants us to stay unstained from the world because the world's philosophy is totally against Christ. And so what he's saying is, is that if we let that rub off on us some, that's, that's going to slowly affect our faith. That's slowly going to affect our walk in our faith. That if we start letting the world have an influence on our lives. Now hear me out. I'm not saying that we become like a monk and just hide from everybody. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we become like a monk, go in the hills, we hide from everyone. This is one of those things where we are in the world, but we are not of the world. That yes, we interact with fellow non-Christians, non-believers, things like that. But we don't let them influence us. Because think about this, we were once a non-believer. We were once apart from Christ. And if it wasn't for someone telling us about Christ, then we would never come to Christ. So I'm not saying that we become monks. I'm saying that we are in the world, but not of the world. That we interact with other people and things like that. We never let them influence us in our walk with Christ. That we are unstained from the world. And here's the thing. We will be able to stay true to Christ. We'll be able to listen to Christ. We'll be able to respond to Christ. We'll be able to listen to the gospel, respond to the gospel, be able to live out the gospel by the power of the gospel. So think about this. The gospel not only saves us, but by the grace of God enables us to truly be able to obey him. Think about how incredible that is. That the gospel doesn't just save us and leave us hanging, but the gospel is saying, no, it's going to strengthen us and empower us. It's something we constantly go back to every single day to become more like Christ. Lead me to the cross. Lead me back to the cross. Lead me back to Christ so I can see more of him, so I can become more like him, so I can follow his example. Here's the beautiful thing as well, is that Christ has done all of this. It's not like God saying, okay, receive the gospel and live it out. Okay, you're on your own. No, he sent Christ to die on the cross to make this gospel happen and for us to be able to truly obey it and follow him. 
Christ is our perfect example that we follow. And since he has done that, that he is going to strengthen us and empower us and be able to us to do the exact same thing. Because we are not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word at the same time. So let me ask you this. How deep is your faith? Is it just surface level? Is it just, like I said, stuff you put on Instagram? Stuff you might say? Stuff you might claim? But when it really comes down to the root of it, it's not backed up. There's no evidence of that. Or is your life truly an ongoing lifestyle of repenting and believing on Christ and following Him, pursuing Him, persevering in Him, even when it's difficult? And, and here's, here's something I want y'all to hear. Maybe there's some of you in here tonight that you've never received the gospel. You've never repented of your sins. You never believed on him. You keep pursuing all these different things and just end up feeling more empty and just more worthless. And you just don't know where else to turn. I'm going to tell you that the gospel can save you tonight from that. That the gospel is for everyone. But like it says here, if you will put away your filthiness... And put away your rampant wickedness and receive the implanted word. It can save your soul. It can save your entire being. Maybe there's some of you in here tonight that you are a follower of Christ. You have truly repented of your sins and you've truly believed in Christ, but you are struggling. It's tough. Maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe it's just in the schools you're in or the environment you're in. The teams you're on, it's just tough to live for him. And you feel like you've just fallen really far away and you feel convicted of that. I'm here to encourage you that the gospel is still for you also. The gospel still forgives you. The gospel is still there for you. And the gospel will empower you to help you live for him. That I don't want you to think if you are, if you are not living for him, then it's like, oh man, then I really got to clean my act up and get stuff and then go back to him. No, Jesus is saying, come as you are. Come as you are. Come to me. So I'm telling you, if you feel like you are far away from Christ, sprint to him. He is not too far from you. He can lead you back to the cross, back to him, back to good graces, love you, empower you, and then send you back out to be able to live for him. Maybe there's some of you in here. Yes, you've repented of your sins. You believed in Christ and you are faithfully following Christ. You are living for him daily. You are living for him in all areas of life, not just Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but every single day you are denying yourself. You're picking up your cross and following him. What I want to encourage you is, is keep preaching the gospel to yourself because it will be tough some days. There'll be times we face difficulties. There's times where we don't want to do that. And the gospel helps empower us to persevere through that. That helps us through that. And not only that, the gospel helps bind us together as a family. So maybe there's some of you that are struggling and some of you that are not. And those of you who are not struggling can come alongside those that are struggling and help uplift you and encourage you and help us be able to be accountable to one another. Like I said, the gospel is not just a one-time event. It's an ongoing lifestyle. And so here's what I want us to do is that there is a response line on some of your guys' things underneath. And what I want to do is I just want to take a few minutes just between you and God 
just to think about what's been talked about tonight. Maybe there's something that stuck out to you. Maybe there is a sin to confess and repent of. Maybe there is a person that's laid on your heart. Maybe there is an action God is leading you to do other different things that he wants you to give to him. I don't know. That's between you and God. I want to take a few minutes just between you and God to write down your response. And then as you guys are doing that, uh, Caleb and Nat, they're going to come back up and they're going to start playing some. And we're going to finish on one last song. And so after you're done, you can stand up whenever you're ready to sing with them. Okay? You don't have to wait. You can just sit down the whole time and pray with God if you want. And that's okay. But I just want these next couple minutes just between you and God, just what maybe God is teaching you and helping you with. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us those few minutes. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it not only saves our souls, but it helps us live for you. Uh, I know there's days it can be difficult. We live in a world that can just be so against God and it's so difficult to live for him. And I pray those days that we are just weak, those days that we are tired, those days that we are wounded, and just that we will be led back to the cross where your love poured out. That you will bring us to our knees. That you will lay us down. That you will rid us of ourselves. We remember we belong to you. And that you will call us to higher and higher calling. That, that you call us to a deeper and deeper following of you. And so I pray, God, that you will work in and through us. That we will not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So I pray these next few minutes that we are able to just focus on you and what you are teaching us. And in turn, we're able to just worship you for who you are and how incredible you are how you never give up on us, how you don't regret saving us, and you continue to be with us every step of the way. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.